Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, my guest is Kara Bradley. Kara is a leading authority of mental fitness, having led thousands through her signature Body First strategies. She shares her 30 plus years of body mind training with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and premier college sports teams. She is the producer of Mental Fitness Bootcamp, the author of On the Verge Wake Up, Show Up, and Shine and the founder of Verge Yoga Center. Kara hosts a daily mental fitness podcast called On The Verge. And in this conversation, we explore mostly the gut-brain connection and how Kara, her whole life, has really been in search of this question, what does it mean to be fully alive? We touch on flow states as one of the ways that we feel fully alive. And a lot of times we find flow in simple everyday occurrences. It can be the way the sun is shining perfectly on a tree. It can be in conversations with loved ones. It can be through nourishing movement of the body. It can be through strength training, going for a jog, being in walks in nature. And Kara explores how she has used her desire to create things as an entrepreneur to really explore this question of aliveness. And I'm such a big fan of her work. And in, for my standards, what is a short conversation, we really pack in a lot of useful gems that I think you can bring into your everyday life. Kara is really someone I look up to in the industry. And you're going to want to take notes on this one. She has all sorts of useful bits that you can bring with you. Let's settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy this conversation with Kara Bradley. Kara, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be with you and see you again. And yeah, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. And I actually wanted to start with you with your childhood a little bit. And what did young Kara want to be when she grew up? I love I love asking people this question. That's a great question. Um, you know, I used to start uh, some keynote talks with this little saying that I was born in an Italian-American family in Brooklyn, and I was sandwiched between two brothers. My older brother was the king and my younger brother was the prince. And I was this fiercely independent young girl who, you know, had a fight for attention. And in an Italian family, I mean, you know, it's a male dominated world. So I just kind of went off into my own thing. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's not left me <laughs> to this day. <laughs> uh-huh. And with that fierce independence, like, what did you, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be? Were there uh, like twists and turns along the way? And and was health and like, I, I know the way that you embody all sorts of different aspects of health and, and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. Were those always inherent in you as, as a young child? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I do think I've been, I'm, I've just got the bones and the blood of an entrepreneur. Uh, and I've always um, wanted to do things my own way. So that fierce independence, you know, came in from an early age, but really, honestly, I was a pretty average kid. Um, I was an average student. I was an average athlete. Um, My parents were, you know, uh, you know, of immigrant uh, families and, you know, just doing uh, the best that they could. So um, my brothers started playing hockey when, you know, we were in you know, are 10, 11, 12 years old, maybe a little bit younger. And I wanted to play hockey, but there was no hockey for girls back then. So I had to put the white skates on and uh, they got to put the black skates on. And so I started figure skating and I loved figure skating. I just, I just dove right into it, but we didn't have the means um, for me to really go in 
totally. You know, I was just had average coaching, average, 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 everything was average. And when I was 15 years old, my parents pretty much said, listen, you're, you're not going to the Olympics, are you? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And they said, well, if you want to skate, then you got to pay for it. So I ended up starting to teach. I started teaching at 15 years old and actually became a professional skater. That's what you did back then. You signed something that said you're now getting paid for this. And um, it was then at 15 when I fell in love with helping people feel good about themselves. Because I noticed something very specific when adults came on the ice for their half hour lesson with me, their faces would be all tight and scrunched up and their shoulders would be up by their ears and they were nervous and you could feel, smell the fear in them. And then in the course of even just 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I watched them transform. And they actually became more childlike. I saw joy come back into their bodies and their faces as they started to glide more gracefully on the ice. And um, that really hooked me right there. And then I was like, wow, if I could help people feel more alive, and those were the words you know, that I used back then, is helping people feel more alive. And so, yes, there have been turns and ups and downs and failures every, you know, every step along the way, but that, that underlying drive for me to do whatever I can to not only feel more alive myself, but to help others has never left me. Mm -hmm. And so that desire to help others and to help them feel really good about themselves, where did that we were talking very briefly before we recorded that you you went to school at NYU. Where did that curiosity lead you in your career direction in college? And then where did, where did you begin your career afterwards? Yeah. So I was a college track runner. I ran the 800 and I had a, was a, I was actually at the University of Delaware where I ran and I knew I was going to be transferring to NYU. I just wanted to get back into the city. I'm from New York. So I was running in my last college track race. And again, like I said before, I was average, mediocre, middle of the pack, but I had a legitimate flow experience in that last college track race that changed my life. You know, it was like helping people, you know, feel more alive, except I, I was able to access something that was very, very natural. It felt like my natural potential. And I wanted to know how to train to do that more often. But during college, I was studying finance, international business. I went to NYU. I graduated with a business degree and started uh, working for an investment bank. You know, it's kind of what you do. And within two to three years, I actually started my MBA as well at NYU. I just knew it wasn't for me. I just knew I needed to get back back in to teaching. And so I quit everything. It wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done, to be honest with you. I probably should have consulted with my parents. <laughs> I've apologized to them many times since. I didn't have mentorship. I just knew what I didn't want to do anymore. And that was sit at a desk and study finance. And so I went back to teaching skating and I went back to being outside and I got involved with Rollerblade. Rollerblade was just starting out in New York City at the time. And I, I was the first Rollerblade teacher in Central Park and uh, created a program at Woman Rink. I'm sure you know where Woman is. And so that, that sent me along the way. It was not easy though. I'll tell you what, you know, it was not an easy path to take, but I definitely did listen to my gut. I really did. I'd love to get into that with you and what, what it looked like to be able to tune into listening to your gut and having the, yeah, I'm hearing the courage to actually listen to it and not override it with your mind. And yeah, those are two areas that you're really tuned into the, the mind, the gut, their connection. And I would love to go like, that's, that's what you are big on today. The mind gut connection, the brain gut connection. Yeah. And I would love to hear a little bit about that work and then some experiences like you've already described that inform how that became something you're so fascinated by. Mm, yeah, well, there's a lot in there. Um, I'll start by saying that I just asked questions 
you know, I am no smarter than anybody else. And I just remember sitting in my office, looking out the window, uh, the office was on 57th street and I was able to see um, sheep's meadow in central park. And like on a summer day, I'd see all these people out there. And I would think this is the question I would ask, what are they doing with their lives that allows them to be outside in the middle of a Wednesday? Mm. Like I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And so at 24 was when I started my first business, which had to do with skating. It was a figure skating apparel company. I honestly had no business doing it. Um, I had no experience in designing clothes and producing clothes. And I raised a little bit of money from friends and family and, um, and started this first business. And uh, it crashed and burned in a couple, of, a couple of years later, unfortunately. But, you know, that's the story of an entrepreneur. But, you know, I think, and people have asked this of me before, you know, there's no magic um, to being an entrepreneur. I think the, the biggest thing, though, and this I think is just innate in me, is um, I'm really not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, it's not like I'm not, I, I, do, I do and have worried or, or thought about what other people think of me, you know, and other people's opinions of me, but that sense of failing it's just something in me. It just doesn't affect me. It's like, okay, if this doesn't work, I'll do something else. If this doesn't work, I'll pivot here. So um, it is possible to do that. Like it is possible just to move on. And when you hear about, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln has some great quote about all of his failures before he was elected president, you know, and so many people have talked about this. And, and we're going to fail so much more than we than the obvious successes in our lives. So just build the muscle of failing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I think that's just where, you know, a lot of my drive and my, my ability to listen to my gut has come from is like, well, I could just try this. We'll give this a shot. Yeah, yeah. Like looking at life, I was actually having a conversation about this yesterday with a colleague of mine, like living life from a place of let's play around with this or let's experiment is it's a, that's a paradigm shifting way to move through the world. And we, we, I'll say, I have a tendency to get so attached to the way that things are and the way that I'll be perceived if I do something and make a mistake, there's that perfectionist in me. And it seems like it runs rampant in the world, but we're all trying to figure things out instead of doing and getting the feedback. And it's evident that that's really served you. Even, even the failures that you've had, if they fell on their face, you, you were able to learn from that and uh, keep becoming closer to the person you wanted to become. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think that, you know, something that you just said is important to repeat and you know, that is having, just knowing that you got to play around. You've got to tinker with life. We can't figure out. I mean, if we know anything now, if from the past couple of years is we have no idea what's com- coming around the corner next. We really don't. And, and so, it, you know, we're, we can't figure out the perfect path. There is no perfect path. So to allow yourself to tinker and play, my daughters um, were, they're in their twenties now, but they were soccer players, like, you know, really intense soccer players. And I always remember just watching them play, especially like at the high school and club level. And it was, it really saddened me how structured their practices were, how intense their coaches were, how everything was just like work. And then you know, if, especially if you look at men's soccer around the world, um, you know, you look at the Brazilians and the Argentinians and the, and the Europeans and the way they play, you know, they've been just out in the street tinkering their whole lives. And, you know, here are the Americans with all this great coaching and training, but our players are more stuck than and not as fluid and not as graceful and not, you know, it's just it's just an example So if we could just get ourselves to allow ourselves to play more, play, fail, get back up, play, fail, try this, let go of that. I I don't know. I think, I think we'd be happier in general. Yeah. 
there's also, and I didn't expect the conversation would go here, but I'm enjoying it. So there's an integration. I've been thinking a lot about how those two can play with each other. So there's a, a way to implement certain structures if they serve you in some way. And then within the confines of those structures, having the flexibility to not be attached to a, a certain way of doing things. So there's like the combination of free flowing and being able to improvise and do things on the spot without it being this open-ended, like look into the abyss of I have, I have no structure and there's nothing in place for me to follow. And I actually find myself dancing back and forth between the two a lot of times. Uh, I, I look into, I have a tendency to want lots of open expansiveness and because I'm not bound by anything, it's, it becomes a, like staring at the blank canvas that a lot of writers talk about. And I, I'd be curious to hear if, if that shows up for you in any way. So it's a good question. And it is a dance, I think, exactly. I mean, you need frameworks. You need to have to be able to, to throw out goals out there for what it is you want to do or achieve. You know, I have always have monthly goals. I have quarterly goals, yearly goals. And there's there are goals, I mean, because that gives you direction. It actually it actually directs your energy on a daily basis. So I think goals are, are very important, but we need to hold them loosely as well because the path to getting there, if we think we know, we're going to struggle and we'll probably, you know, not get close to it. And so we have to allow those goals to shift and change. And, um, you know, what I, I've taught yoga for, 20 plus years. I had a yoga center in Philadelphia for many, many years. And I would say all the time, because it was a affluent area and people would come in, they were very tight, mentally tight, emotionally tight, physically tight. And, you know, they wanted to get this yoga pose perfect. I'm like, well, here's the thing. There's no perfect pose. The pose is just a form to help us discover ourselves within it you know, to help us see where we're strong, where we're weak, where we need some love and maybe some recovery, where we can lean in and challenge ourselves. And I think that, you know, that's what goals are as well. You know, they're there as a, just a form holder, a place holder for us to dance, like you said, to be able to dance within, within that goal um, and, and to change form if necessary. So you brought up yoga, and now I want to get into how all of your different bodies of work combine into the, the gut-brain connection that, we've, that we wanted to discuss today. So how, yeah, like, what were some ways that you found yourself in yoga, and how are some ways, like, I think it's been a part of your work that maybe you didn't have the language around until recently, but what is the importance of the gut brain connection? And I guess we could start there. And then how, if you look back, like how has that been informative of a lot of the work that you've done? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a timeline because I think it'll make more sense. So, so I talked about that big race I had when I experienced flow and I wanted to know, wow, how do you do this? How do you do this on demand? And so back then it was pre-internet. I went to the library and I looked for disciplines and I found yoga and meditation. And these are lineages. These are ancient practices that give you sort of a step-by-step -step training and being a, a, an athlete, I like to be in training. So I started training my body and my mind in these disciplines. And that led me as a teacher and as an entrepreneur to open up a yoga center and meditation center. And my investigation didn't end with just yoga and meditation. And because I am curious, I'm curious about my own potential. So it went into, I went into understanding the science of flow states, the science of optimal performance, what's happening actually in our physical bodies, in our minds. And again, how do we train? How do we train to be our best more often, feel our best more often? And so that investigation took me into the nervous system. And I thought that I had hit bottom, like root. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, if we could learn how to upregulate, downregulate, and really work our nervous system like a fine-tuning fork, 
that then we could learn to be at our best more often, be present, be open and available, be curious, be, um, you know, have a growth mindset set instead of a fixed mindset. And so I spent a lot of time in the nervous system. And it was then that I discovered the gut brain connection. And I'll tell you, Michael, it was one of those moments when somebody told me about the new science of the gut brain connection. And it is new, it's less than six years old. Although the ancient practices have referred to this gut brain connection, like the yogis and the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and indigenous cultures have known this, but Western science is now is now showing us how, yeah, your gut health directly impacts your mental health and your mental performance. So it was the moment that I learned about this that I knew my work would forever change. I knew that I could no longer talk about flow, talk about mental fitness, talk about optimal performance, or um, just even you know being present without addressing our gut brain signaling. And so um, I've been deep immersed in what's coming out of science, how to help people prime or optimize the gut brain connection. And so this has been a very important shift for me in my work, because one thing that I do know, and I can get into the specifics of the gut brain connection, but one thing I know from all of my years of teaching starting way back as the figure skating teacher to rollerblading and yoga and meditation and strength training and all that. One thing that I know is that you can't meditate your way into a healthier gut. Like you can't, you know, you, you can't actually practice and improve your gut microbiome. Um, you can help it get a little better without having so much stress but we actually need to create a more flourishing environment through external protocols in order to get our gut and our brain to signal in a way that's going to help us feel our best. Mm -hmm. And before we get into the specifics, which you brought up, and I would love to, could you, maybe that some listeners aren't familiar with the microbiome, could you just give a, a brief description of what, I know it's a complicated issue, but could you give like a, a high level description of what the microbiome is? And the gut? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love talking about this. So our gut microbiome is really, most of it's in our lower intestines. And the gut microbiome is made up of trillions of bacteria, viruses, and other non-human things. I mean, we are mostly non-human. We have all of this bacteria and virus. And of course, you know, we're so familiar now with what viruses can do, but let's just focus on bacteria because the science is really still just learning about bacteria. So most people understand that a probiotic is a bacteria that you put in your body. But what we're learning now from this new science is we are getting very strain specific. Since we have thousands of different strains in our bodies, we're learning that specific strains when they're flourishing in our bodies can help reduce symptoms of depression, can help increase stress resiliency, can help us stabilize anxiety and so on and more. I mean, there are strains and uh, that are specifically correlated to ADHD, to autism, to Alzheimer's, and the list goes on. And so what we're learning is that if we could help these strains flourish by feeding these strains the right types of food, other strains that aren't so helpful in our body will die off. These strains will flourish. And then it goes right up the chain. And the chain is really the communication network between our gut and our brain. And that is mostly our nervous system and our immune system. So if we have inflammation in our body because of stress, environmental toxins, even medication, or 
just not eating well, you know, our bodies respond and create inflammation. That inflammation is like a big cloud in our body. So any communication that our body is trying to signal between gut and brain or muscles and brain, you know, all these different communications is blurry. And this is what creates brain fog. It's what creates this sense of lethargy of just not being, you know, not feeling great. And this is what most of us are feeling. So when we start to optimize our gut microbiome, and I'll tell you a couple of ways to do that. One is diversity of food, eating lots of plants and vegetables. A lot of people say about 30 different plants and vegetables every week. So you can put a piece of paper up on your, on your refrigerator and actually count how many different types of plants and fruits do I eat a week? And then adding in fermented foods is really great because those are good prebiotic fibers for all these bacteria that are in our microbiome chomping away. Mm -hmm. And then of course, if we reduce stress, that will help our gut to be more, be healthier or more balanced. What, what's often the word that's used is to modulate or to rebalance the microbiome. And then there's pharma, you know, if we can stay away and some can't and that's okay. Pharma will, you know, being off meds will help to regulate our microbiome. And, um, so, so these are ways that sleep, I mean, there's so much. And then the other thing is what we're learning and what's so exciting about the science is that we're learning about specific plants that we can add to our diet or through supplementation that will target certain types of bacteria that will really help the, the flourishing of of our microbiome for our mental health, our mental wellness, and, and eventually our mental performance. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So I'd be curious to hear just for you, I know it's hard to make blanket recommendations, but what are some of your favorite vegetables, favorite fermented foods, like supplements that you take that help you optimize and perform your best? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. I just try to eat lots of different plants and vegetables. I think, you know, I always have like sauerkraut in my, in my refrigerator, kombucha when I, you know, like, and kimchi and, you know, there's tons of different fermented foods. I'm not big on dairy, but I'll eat yogurt, yogurt every once in a while as well. But I think it's the diversity and staying away as much as I can from processed foods and sugars, white flours, you know, I'm not, I'm Italian, so I love to eat lots of different things. I had pasta last night, but I think in moderation, right. just to, uh, I, I think it's just a, a great Mediterranean diet is really what we find is to be the best for our microbiome. Um, and so then there are uh, targeted supplements. And so I work with a brand of targeted micronutrients for gut brain optimization. And what this company has, um, they've been really been at the forefront of the new science coming out and they bring in plants and um, micronutrients that are really from all over the world, stuff that we wouldn't necessarily get in our everyday diet. So for instance, there are there are certain nutrients like New Zealand pine bark. New Zealand pine bark is something that's used in New Zealand and Australia as a first line therapy for ADHD. So it's, it's a natural plant product and this is what's used to help children and adults that suffer, you know, and really struggle with ADHD. But, you know, in the US, we don't really use that. We just put our kids on drugs. But, but if we can take those, it will help us. Um, there's also like uh, Asian green apple extract is a first line therapy for ADHD in Japan. So what this company has done is identified strains, specific strains of bacteria, and then also other micronutrients that we can take to help our guts produce the right amount of neurochemicals and uh, to help us 
balance hormones to help our endocrine system. So um, without getting too technical, I just want to say one more thing that I think really helps people to understand what's happening in our microbiome. And that is 90% of our serotonin, the feel good neurotransmitter is produced in our gut. 90%, 70% of our dopamine, dopamine is the neurotransmitter that we need to help keep us motivated, to help keep us at attention. Norepinephrine is another neuro, uh, neurotransmitter produced in our gut that helps with focus. GABA helps with relaxation. So when our gut microbiome is flourishing and the channels between the gut and the brain are clear, so there's less inflammation, more stabilization, then it's amazing what happens and how much better we feel. And then the last thing I'll say is, um, and this kind of completes the picture of the work that I do in mental fitness is that now your meditation practice is just stronger. Everything gets amplified. Yoga gets amplified. The work that you do with coaches like you gets amplified because the channels in our body are now much clearer. And so we hear, we know, we sense just that much better. Yeah. Thank you for all that. I'd love to talk now about mental fitness, which you just brought up and what, what mental fitness means to you. And we briefly touched a little bit on like meditation and I don't know if we brought it up yet, but like doing breath work and like how powerful an anchor the breath is. And I would, I would love to go into that component of your work now with you too. Yeah. Mental fitness is just, it's really just a fancy term to, to, bring together all of these practices that we now know about. Um, even 20 years ago, we didn't, we weren't doing breath work. We didn't have sleep hygiene. We didn't, you know, a lot of this has just come online in the last couple of decades. So what I've seen in my career are people that get really fixated on certain practices so much so that, you know, all they do is meditate and they never move or, you know, they're so infatuated with breath work, but they never actually pick up a weight and strength train. And so again, coming back to being Italian and, and really focused on moderation and balance in life, mental fitness is just a big umbrella that holds and houses all of these different modules or, or health and wellness practices and protocols that we need to incorporate in our lives. Like they're all important. And so being mentally fit is really just this capacity to feel strong, calm, and clear every day. So we're, we're not just strong and fixed in, you know, you think about like the Iron Man or the, the weightlifter who's got all this muscle, but no flexibility, right? So we want to be supple and flexible and agile. And so, and we can do that physically and mentally. So I like to talk about cross training for mental fitness. We now know in our culture that in order to be physically fit, we have to cross train. We, we want to do some flexibility training, some cardio, some endurance. We need recovery time. We need the strength training. All of it matters. And that is what I'm trying to educate people on with mental fitness, that there's a cross-training element. So some of the domains of mental fitness that I teach are, number one is physical fitness. So we have to move our bodies. We have to cross-train for physical fitness. So that's a big domain. Mental training or mind training, I call it, and that could be mindfulness, meditation, it could be mindset training, a lot of the work that you do with your clients. So there's physical fitness, mind training, nutrition, we've talked about, gut, brain, health, okay, we talked about that. And then there are practices like sleep hygiene, being in nature, making sure that you're playing hobbies or sport or some kind of creative expression. There's gratitude practice. There's connection practice. What are you doing every day to connect with yourself, with source, with others, social connection? So 
these are all under the umbrella of mental fitness. And so what I do is just help people make sure that they're addressing all of these, not every day, but like if you look at a week, you know, are you addressing a breath practice sometime during the week or gratitude or nature play, you know, some of the not so obvious things. Mm -hmm. And something I've heard you speak about in the past, like a lot of the, if, if someone doesn't have a lot of those ducks in a row right now, it can feel overwhelming to try and tackle all of them and to think, you know, I need to meditate for 30 minutes and I need to work out for an hour and I need to get in nature for an hour. It's always like, let's just start with what you can do consistently. That's always what I would prescribe. And, and I'm pretty sure you're a big fan of that as well. And from here, I actually wanted to make a little bit of a left turn because I, I wanted to explore this with you. You brought up aliveness at one point early in this conversation that you felt you felt most alive when you were teaching people and when you were running and in flow. And I'd love to hear what full aliveness looks like to you. Like, how would you define full aliveness? Mm. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. This has been really an investigation of my own for my whole life. In fact, I wrote a whole book about feeling fully alive. Mm. And how do we, um, how do we, how do we know what that feels like? Because, you know, it's interesting, Joseph Campbell has that great quote about, I can't say it exactly, but it's really, you know, most of us are really just looking for ways to feel fully alive in life. And so what I, what I recommend and what I do for myself is start to notice times during the day when you feel lit up. I sometimes I call this high definition living like, you know, those moments when it could be just driving in the car and you see the sun hit the top of the trees and it's just like, boom, you know, that is a glimpse of being fully alive when you're fully present and the world like time stands still for that moment. Or when you catch someone's gaze, you know, there are things that make us feel more alive than other things. And I would often, when I was doing my book tour and I would ask this question at a book, at a book talk, the question I would ask is what, what does it feel like to be fully alive? And most of the time it's clear, calm, confident, you know, happy, relaxed, loved. Um, what, where, what activity person or place makes you feel fully alive. And, you know, what's always amazing, and I've done this everywhere from like elementary schools to nursing homes, I've asked this question, and it's always basically the same. And they're always free, right at the top of a mountain on the beach in the woods with my dog, with my kids, with my partner, with myself reading, you know, there's, it's so simple, Michael. And, and so when you start to think this way, and you start to look for opportunities or look for those glimpses during the day, I think it, I think it makes us happier. You know, I think when we can recognize, oh, this is one of those glimpses. Like even right now, I love these kind of conversations. Yeah. This makes me feel alive, just uh -huh. talking about aliveness. Uh -huh. And then on the flip side, we can start to recognize what doesn't make me feel alive. You know, what really does it? I mean, you know, people are so, they're zoomed out. You know, by the end of the day, they feel so dull because they've been on a screen all day or their work. You know, a lot of people, this great reset we're going through, people recognizing my work doesn't make me feel alive or, you know, eating bad food and how I feel afterward doesn't make me feel alive. And so I think that, you know, just asking ourselves these questions and being playful could help us make some changes without having to like slap down these big habit changes. Mm -hmm. yeah. what, are, what are some ways, I, I mean, at least in my experience, inevitably there are moments where I really don't feel full aliveness the way that I want to be feeling it. And until recently, I, I didn't have the body intelligence, emotional intelligence to understand what shift move I would need to make to get back to what's important to me. 
So what are what are some markers that you are able to tune into when you realize like eh, it's time to course correct, Kara? Like I'm not really feeling alive, and here's something that I could do to help me feel alive. Like how how do you get yourself out of a funk? Let's say. Oh, it's it's a great question. I love that. So um, I I love this idea of having these mini win practices that we can do. They're on the spot state shifters. This is what you're naming on the spot state shifters that can help us shift from not feeling alive, not feeling so great to feeling better, better in our body, better in our skin. And so um, again, it comes back to those mental fitness pillars we can do, we can shift our state. And this comes back to my work in the nervous system. We can shift our state in a matter of minutes. And sometimes all it takes is changing something in our biology. So what I often recommend to people is, you know, if you're just not feeling great, look at your biology first. What can you do? Do you need to drink something, eat something? Do you need to go to the bathroom, you know, just take a break? Do you need to move your body? Even two minutes of just moving your spine can help stimulate your brain. Sometimes for me, I take a shower, like midday. If I need a state shift, like had a bad phone call or feeling off or whatever, I change my clothes. I take a shower. I go outside for a few minutes. You know, it doesn't matter what the weather is. These are practical practices that will shift our biology to help drive a different psychological state. You know, most of us think we have to think our way out of a bad state, right? We could do these little things and they really work. They actually really work. Yeah. I actually wrote this down yesterday. If, If you want to change your mind, change your body. Yes. So we usually, uh, one of the funny things about the Western mind is that we, we double down on uh, trying to think our way out of a problem that was caused by our mind. And if we just took that, the simple pause that you're talking about, like go for a lap outside, go just walk and be near a tree for a second or move your body, do 10 jumping jacks. Like it's amazing what emerges if we just give ourselves that pause. And I'm saying this as a reminder to myself too, because I, I can really become fixated on something and these simple shifts can really have a profound impact on, on who we are and the way we're being. That's right. And they're free and they're, they're accessible free. and they're digital free. You know, they're digital free. You know, and this is the thing that I, um, I feel like after all these years of teaching, I just want to keep reminding people it's not all in your head. It's not all in your head. It's not all in your head. You know, sometimes just a biological shift whether it be changing your breath pattern or just doing something in rhythm, sweeping the floor, cutting carrots and potatoes, make a soup, make a salad, some type of hands-on nature, plant, you know, water your plants. This shift in biology changes our psychology. And that's, you know, getting back to the gut brain. This is why I'm so just incredibly passionate about it because we think that our, our mental states, you know, are all in our heads and we are bad people because we have brain fog or we can't focus when meanwhile it's happening deep down at the bowels, basically the bowels of the body and the gut. And it's all starting there. So I just find there's so much shame out there and I just want to help people not shame themselves. And so our bodies, you know, some shifts in our bodies can really help to change so much of how we think. Mm. Well, we're unfortunately already getting close to the time boundary. And I I did have a few questions I wanted to end with and wrap up with you. Before we go there, though, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to point our listeners to? I think that you you had great questions. I mean, this, you you, you hit it, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm like at the edge of my seat here. (laughs) I'm excited to talk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what would people be surprised to know about you? Or what's like something crazy about you that most people don't know? Hmm. Well, I will tell you that I have really struggled with not feeling enough. Hmm. I've struggled with 
feeling, you know, kind of being that average, mediocre, uh, middle-class Italian-American from Brooklyn and not, you know, not feeling like I had the education, I had the degrees, I had the this, I had the that. And so I've been, a, a, you know, in a lot of ways, um, just a workhorse my whole life. And I feel like I'm finally coming out of it. I don't know, 57 years old, I better be coming out of it at this point. <laughs> but I finally feel like um, I feel enough and I want to help other people, especially women, smart women feel enough and so that they put out their best expression into the world. Mm. Yeah, that's a beautiful wish. So the next question I wanted to ask you, COVID has been a huge time of forced reflection for a lot of us. And it's been almost two years now. Has there been any, anything that you've 180 on or any beliefs that you were gung-ho about before COVID that you've shifted on since COVID happened? So my husband and I are what's called location independent, which means we don't have a house. Mm -hmm. um, we sold our yoga studio right before COVID, gave up the house, and we spend two to three months in different places when short-term rentals. And in the process of doing that, we've really been talking about untangling and untethering ourselves from a lot of not only the physical stuff, but a lot of our belief systems and the way that we've been raised to see success. You know, we don't have a house. We don't have, we don't have it, you know, like, and, and even in, in letting go of old roles that we've played and people that we thought that we were personas out there. And so what it's really taught us both is one, like we said before, life is uncertain. Like we just don't know. And I really know that because literally I'm leaving our, our home where we've been in New Hampshire, we're leaving next week and we're driving South and we don't know where we're going to live. So like we are truly living in uncertainty, but like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, we stay in, you know, hotels for a week. I don't know. Like there's, you know, going back to all that failure stuff that I talked about before. So I think what COVID has really, really brought forth is just how uncertain our lives are. So um, it's helped me really just learn to trust in the present moment and in that next step forward. Just the next small step is going to take, you know, take me in the direction of whatever is waiting for me down the road. Beautiful. So I don't know if you, are you familiar with Lewis Howes? Sure. Yeah. So he, I, I haven't asked any other guests this, but I, I like the way that he closes interviews and this won't be my final one, but he asked if you had to wipe away all your work, there was, there was nothing about you that was known and you had to leave three truths for the world. What, what were the three truths be? Wow. So uh, life is uncertain. Mm -hmm. We're most powerful when we're present. And you are already enough. Love it. And the final question, Kara, that I ask all of my guests, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And mm -hmm. I'm on my journey. I'm, I'm trying to determine what's a meaningful life for Michael and, and how can I continue to live my expression of that meaningful life? And I want to know for today, in, in the words of Kara, what does it mean to have a meaningful life? Well, it's, it's two part. One is to be used fully, to be of to allow my own creative genius that flows through me like a fire hose to, to allow that to come out into the world and be of benefit to others. So my personal work is in shedding and unblocking and unleashing my fullest potential and my hope is that when I do that, it will inspire others to do the same. Well, we covered a lot in the, in the short time that we had together. And I 
there are so many other threads that I would have loved to continue to pull on with you. And we'll, we'll have to make that for another time. So we, we left a lot of stuff in there that we can come back to. And uh, in the meantime, I just want to acknowledge you. And it's been a pleasure having you on as a guest. It's been a pleasure connecting with you. I think it was pretty early on in COVID and it's been mostly from afar, but I love the work that you do and a lot of your gentle reminders on LinkedIn to connect with what's most important. Like there, there was one post that you had that I think about on a pretty regular basis. You, you just, you had a list of all the things that are most important. And when I think about success and have to let go of those stories of what success means to someone else, I, I oftentimes find myself thinking about that post, like have a meaningful conversation with someone you love, move a little bit, eat food that nourishes you, like find work that moves you. And it's, in a lot of ways, we overcomplicate these things and, and life can be really simple if we just, if we get those basics down, that's a success to me. So I, I want to thank you for, yeah, having the courage to redefine what success is and for making it accessible for, for everyone. Well, thank you. That's really kind. And it made my day. Yes, <laughs> I appreciate it. And to all my listeners, I hope that you can figure out your own definition of success and keep experimenting, keep playing and have a good rest of your day. Take good care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's search for meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well and keep living with purpose. Peace.